0: Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there.
1: Mm. Watch Bill Burr and go, oh, he's doing a one-sided confirmation, con- conversation. Oh, look at this person. What are they doing? Oh, look at that joke. Oh, look what they did. You know, uh, Bo, Bo Burnham does a lot of jokes that, that are not traditional uh, things. Uh, uh, Carrot Top, I know. I, 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 but you, you go and look and, and know that. study him advice steal techniques notice what other comedians are doing study them and go oh look at that technique now let me do that with my sense of humor let me do that with my material hot breath what's goody hot breath
0: verse it is time for hot breath the show where you learn comedy from the pros i'm your host comedian joel byers and the guest today is very highly Demanded One of the premier comedy instructors in the game. We actually did a QA and a with him in our Hop Breath Pro community a few months ago. And then there was a discussion going on in our writing room Facebook group where Krista Marie Kaufman asked if we ever interviewed him. And I was like, actually, yes. And actually, I've been meaning to post that as a podcast. So here it is. I actually co-hosted this episode with Hop Breath Pro member Bo Johnson, who reached out to Greg, made it all happen. So I brought him on the show to ask Greg questions himself. Get out your notebooks, and there is only one thing left to do. Inhale a hot breath, with Greg Dina.
1: Hey guys. How are you sir? I'm really good, really good. Just finished teaching uh, uh, a fundamentals class. And so, uh, and I was, uh, you know, I'm working with a whole new group of teachers um, and they have to go through my certification because we're so clear and specific about everything that I teach that I have to teach them to teach those things. And as time goes on, they'll be able to teach other people to teach and so it's it's set up very academically like that, so that uh, it, 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 we, it, it's uh, so that there's very specifics to teach. That's what it's about. It's not uh, it's not my opinion of things. It's uh, I, I wrote an article one time about the difference between uh, uh, technique oriented teaching. And uh, opinion-oriented teaching. Opinion-oriented teaching is the, you know whatever the teacher's opinion is. Uh, I was on you know the other day somebody asked me about something and I went that why are those people even saying that it's just not even true they don't have any background on. So uh, I, you were talking about the book. Uh, it's funny I got uh, that uh, to get that first published that original book I got rejected 17 times. Oh. Uh, I got and I started making a mobile. That hung in my living room of all the pink <laughs> slips. <laughs> to have a sense of humor about how many times, you know, people went, "We, what are you doing with this?" <laughs> wow, just jokes in it. Somebody actually, I loved it. Somebody said, "Oh, it's a very technical book," and I said, "Yeah, it's a book of techniques." <laughs> okay. and people say, "Take out all that stuff, then just put in more jokes." I was like, well, then the point of the book would be completely lost. And so actually, I kind of had a, a real one of, one of the few real growing up moments I had uh, was when I finally, after all these rejections, I sat there one day and thought, you know, people give me all this advice and I am, well, I don't want to be inflexible. But then I thought about it and went, you know, I wrote the book I wanted to write. This is the book I wanted to write you know, to break it down say, oh, there are fundamentals. OK, here's here's joke structure, okay, here's different ways of writing jokes, Uh, here's what I think you should be rehearsing in in order to be able to connect to the audience more, and here's all this performing technique to connect with the audience, et cetera, et cetera, and and the techniques for tags, et cetera, all those things. Oh, here are the fundamentals that I think are really, really important uh, to try to set a standard for those fundamentals, and I kind of—that's when I grew up. Kind of went well. I wrote the book. I wanted to write. I—it's—it's it's mm-hmm. what I set out to write, and I did it. Now, if nobody wants it, nothing I can do, and that's outside my control. So I'll just continue teaching it in my classes and selling it to people who want it online. And I did, you know. And uh, a couple of weeks later, I got a book deal. <laughs> it's like one of those things where you kind of go, "Well, just, I did what I wanted to do." the rest is outside my control. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just keep living and work on the next book, work on the next thing, whatever you're going to do. But I did what I wanted to do. And it took a lot of years, but I think people are finally catching on that, that there are really fundamentals to be taught. Mm -hmm. How many, how many copies have you sold of this
0: book? Ah, half a million. Half a million, yeah. Because there's people in the comments saying this was the first
1: book they read, also, and so I'm sure it's a lot, yeah. Actually, it's funny because uh, I was I I invented t- uh, schools for teaching stand up. There was a couple other people that kind of had a class here and there, but not a real complete school hmm. that would be. And uh, back in 1982, and I was in it for a loan for almost a decade before uh, anybody else came in. And uh, they wrote books. they They published books before I did. I actually wrote two books before this book. And I didn't publish them because I didn't think they were good enough. And uh, I don't have a lot of regrets in my life, but that 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 was one of them. <laughs> if i If I'd published both those books, which were different, uh, I'd have three books out there now uh, before anybody, or two books out there before anybody published anything, hardly anything on it. And uh, But, you know, life is what it is and you just move forward. But when I published this book, it was the book I really wanted to do because, again, I kind of found myself as a teacher, too, to kind of go, when I started in 1982, there were no fundamentals, period, none, nothing. Uh, the best book out there was by, uh, this guy named Phil, I can't remember his last name, uh, was a book on, a comedy book on rating comedy for radio. <laughs> the 30s and 40s, Jack Benny, Bob Hope wow. kind of radio wow. shows. That's, that's all that there was. It was an okay book. Uh, there were some other ones out on, on kind of dissecting humor and stuff, but I don't think they did a very good job of it, uh. And so when I started teaching, I started teaching a lot of things from acting, uh, et cetera. I taught the two-list system, if you guys know about that, the two-list system for writing jokes. There's a teacher here in town that teaches that. He, I taught it to him 40 years ago. Uh, the problem with that is that it, it, actually it's a really good system if you have a, a model of a joke in your head. You like unconsciously understand what a joke is. Uh, it's real simple it's really um it's really good too i mean so, i mean i use part of it from time to time but what you do is you 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 pick something like hospitals and you make a list and then you pick some give it a trait like uh, it's torture and you make a list and step three is write jokes hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now i sat down used it and i wrote a boatload of jokes I thought, well, everybody's going to do this. So I taught it to my students, and half of my students, like me, sat down and wrote a boatload of jokes. And the other 50% went, I have no idea what you want me to do. I, I, what do you want me to do? I said, just write a joke. I don't know what a joke is. But, but you have to know what a joke is if you want to be funny. I don't know what a joke is. I don't know what you want me to do. And I went home and thought about that. And uh, I was also teaching my opinion at the time, rewrite the joke this way and do this, do that. And I had one strong student who said, look, you're teaching me to do it your way. I don't want to do it your way. i want to do it my way. Teach me to do it my way. You're able to write jokes, rewrite jokes, put it together. Teach me what you're doing so I can do it my way. And I went home and that was that was. <laughs> That's what happened on that. I went home and went, "Oh my God, this guy's right." My sense of humor isn't better than anybody. That's just mine, uh, and that's all that I'm teaching. I'm just saying, do it my way. I do it this way, therefore you have to do it that way too. And and, I, and it was like a revolutionary. So I went home, and this is this is where it all started. As so I went home and said, "Well, if I'm going to teach people how to write jokes, I have to say," I went, "Well, then, what's a joke?" I mean, mm-hmm. there's no definition out there. What What's a joke? What is a joke? What What is it? And that was the start of it. And I started studying and reading academic things. And finally, I found an article in, uh, by a guy named Victor Raskin at, from Purdue University. He was a linguist. And he said, uh, you know, he had, he had some theories finally on it. He was the first person since I've become good friends with him. That's cool. Uh, he's part of it. He, he was at the time the uh, editor and uh, the editor of the World Humor uh, Journal. There is a humor journal and uh, they they are required it has to be very academic and scientific based because they want to be taken seriously. <laughs> I mean, they are hardcore, they won't let me publish. They love my stuff, but they won't let me publish because I don't have a degree. I'm not an academic. Mm -hmm. I just spent 40 years in a living lab. And about half of them kind of go, we need to study this guy. This guy's really got a lot of cool stuff. And then the other half go, he's not an academic. We can't listen to him at all. Mm -hmm. So it's like 5,000 PhDs all over the world who do nothing but study humor along with their staff and me. Well, I'm not and uh, I've been to like five, four five of them. And when I go there, I, you know, and they, I freak them out because, it, you know, the first one I went to, they all showed up because they were going to destroy me. Now they're my friends. They come and say, I came there to destroy you that day. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, I showed them my model and then instantly taught them all how to write joke, how to write a joke. And they all went, hmm. Wow. And then I showed them how uh, joke structure is uh, uh, is attained in in storytelling and they all went whoa uh, and by the end they almost gave me a standing ovation of applauding and it was really really good so it was uh it's it, you know uh, it, and now they're my friends I mean but they did they come of say I came to destroy you now <laughs> so they called me up and asked me to write books with them Uh I go to their universities and teach joke writing. Uh, I was just at Swarthmore College outside Philadelphia, a nice art school out there. And, you know, anyway, so uh, that's kind of where where it comes down to is that, that when I introduced my models to them, they said they were actually very nice. They said, look, you have add nothing to humor theory. Your model is correct, but we already knew that. You, you have different language and you have a very different approach, but you're saying exactly the same thing we're saying. We're saying, yes, this is this is what a joke is. OK, it has a structure and it's very consistent, et cetera, et cetera. So but uh, you now take your model and teach people to write jokes in a matter of minutes and we can't do that because theirs is academics for academic sake. They're writing stuff. And they actually like to use non-traditional language because then they feel like they've invented something. (laughs) Yeah, something we do to like exercise writing a lot of jokes quickly
0: is this thing called the Write 10 Club, where every day we get a new word and then get 10 minutes to write a new joke using that word. So like with your techniques, like how would you approach, if you got a new word, how would you then approach formulating
1: it into a quick joke in 10 minutes. Uh, First of all, I'd write all my assumptions out about it. And it's nicer if you have more than just a single word, but if it implies a different world, then you write down all your assumptions about it. You see, because once you know what people are assuming, that opens the door to what I call the reinterpretation of the idea for the punchline. So uh, as soon as you know what people are assuming about something, you can then do what I call the comic jump. You can go from what they're assuming to another idea an unexpected alternative to write a joke, but it's a little more complicated. You really have to kind of understand my, uh, uh, you know, the joke diagram, uh, we call it. I mean, it's you know, it, it's really just a visual representation so I can show it to people because there are uh, five mechanisms that connect the first part and the second part of a joke. That's the first thing you need to know is all jokes have two parts. I'm, I'm giving your audience something for free here that I don't think anybody else talks about. All jokes have two parts. They have to have two parts. Because every joke is a comparison. Hmm. Uh, so you have to have two parts. Now, I, I see on the Internet and I and I see on YouTube, people say, oh, yeah, here's joke structure, set up and punch. That is not joke structure. That is simply the way we express a one-liner. That's it. That's all it is. It shows you the two parts, but... You know, uh, set up and punch is is only the, it's, you know, to call that a fundamental in some ways. It, it would be like going to a music school and saying, I want to learn the fundamentals of music. And they say, okay, song. <laughs> Wait, that's the way I express music. Right, 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 right. <laughs> song, orchestra, <laughs> opera. <laughs> wait, wait, teach me the fundamentals. Oh, those are what I call the fundamentals. No, those are just the way we, we express music, right? Mm. Well, Up and Punch is just one of the way we express humor as a one-liner. We also do it through cartoons. Uh, we do it through graphic novels. We do it in novels, writing. They do it in sketches and sitcoms and movies and on and on and on. So when I say joke, me personally, and this is just within my world of what I'm doing. Whenever I say joke, I mean a single unit of humor. Uh, it can be a one-liner. Uh, it can be in a sitcom. When you actually identify where that, how that joke is actually structured from one character to another character, or from the situation you're seeing to what somebody has a comment on it, or because it can get very complex. Uh, but that structure that I teach is really structure because they are the mechanisms that connect the first part and the second part. That's my definition of joke structure. And I'm not here to teach it today. I'm here to talk about it. But that's when you know you have a fundamental. Uh, and I'm not, a, I, I was taught to think this way. I didn't. I didn't figure all this out on my own. Uh, I don't know if you guys know anything about NLP, neurolinguistic Programming.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: NLP, it's what Tony Robbins teaches. I was his personal assistant and worked with him for about six months. And then uh, I actually I still got a, like a satin jacket that has because I did a 30 foot fire walk with him. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, and and worked with him for a long time. And then I, then I started, you know, going, oh, well, uh, where do you get his stuff? And then I found the guy who co-founded John Grinder. John Grinder and Richard Bandler uh, co-founded Neuro Linguistic Program, which really in a lot of ways is like a collection of stuff from psychology. And then they started seeing deeper into certain things and seeing things that other people weren't seeing. And so... A lot of communication skills is really what it was, uh, and and helping people with therapy. It, actually, it, it branched out in so many directions. One of those areas was modeling. Model, not not runway, kind of modeling. Right? <laughs> modeling means how do you go into an area that ha- that is uh, like I did with a virgin area like comedy. Uh, that didn't have fundamentals. And it just so happened that in, in, in this time in history, I hear I studied with this guy who was doing that and taught me how to do it. So I, I was doing it anyway, but I wasn't doing a very good job. And then he taught me how to do that, how to go in and go uh, and decide what is a fundamental and pull it out and then be able to teach it. So first it's learning how to find them and then learning how to define them uh, and, and uh, that, you know, I've been doing that for 40 years now and I'm still finding them. I, it's, it's unbelievable how much is in how, how difficult it is to, uh, identify all the things that are going on, uh, in there to, to tell. And so then I developed a model and the model I end up using now, and this is the model I use just for understanding is my job. You want to know my job, not what I do for money. I teach for money. What I do at home, and the fun part for me, is identifying a technique that either a comedy writer, joke writer, comedian, funny person, even a funny person uh, in real life. doesn't have to be a professional comedian because people use the, Identifying that t- technique. What, is, what technique do you For instance, I was watching Bill Burr the other day, and he he said, well, you, you know, you don't raise your kid. The best way to raise your kids: is play catch with them, play baseball, catch with them. Have you ever seen the bit where he's playing with his son and he's throwing the ball back and forth, you know, and he does what's what I call as a one. It's part of storytelling called a one sided conversation. Okay, so he's talking to his son, but he never plays his son. Hmm. We know what his son is saying by how he responds to his son or responds to the questions because he listens to his son. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he reacts to those things. It's a one-sided conversation. Okay. So identify one-sided conversation. And before that, it was used uh, by, uh, go back and look at the old Bob Newhart bits that he used to do. A lot of them were one-sided conversations. It's not new. It's been used before. So there we go. One-sided conversation, uh, you know, identified. If it doesn't have a name, I give it a name. A lot of times they have names and I, so I, one sided conversation. Okay, great. We got that. So then I turned into an exercise. Okay. So one person, you know, the person, you know, picks another character and, and then they play both sides of it or whatever it is I have them do to do that exercise. And then if they play, if they do that exercise and do that exercise and do that exercise bunch, they set up their mind now to understand what, look for the, listen to the cues that come in from this fictitious person over there that's talking to them. Right. And now they develop now, if they do the exercise and get up and write a bunch, now they have that technique as a skill, which means they can do it. Not just know about it. It's like the difference I can, uh, it's the difference between knowing what riding a unicycle is, And being able to write a unicycle.
0: Yeah, that's a question like Mike Marr just chimed in with, I don't know if you saw that one, Bo, about, he said, can you take one joke and use all of the techniques that can be applied and make multiple jokes from each technique? Um,
1: No, I wouldn't do, you're doing a, he's asking using what what linguistics is called a universal, all. Now different different kinds of techniques lend themselves to different kinds of jokes and they have different cueing systems as well uh that you kind of in other words uh the way we go about building and expressing a joke within a story can be quite different than the way that we go about expressing uh, a one-liner or expressing that joke, remember, single unit of humor in a cartoon. So they don't always cross over. And many times they do cross over. So it matters where you're going. You start with a single joke. Uh, first thing I would say to do with that is stop thinking it of as a line of dialogue and start thinking of it as a world. There is a world inside that joke of implications. Okay, uh, there's all kinds of things going on, possibly going on inside of that joke, other than just the words of it. So now you're starting to think of it as as uh, as an experience, as a happening, as a moment, as a scene. I don't know. Use your own words. I mean, because different people connect to that different ways. That's why I use multiple words, because different people will go, I'll say, uh, you know, think of it as an experience, huh? Think of it as a scene. Oh, okay. (laughs) Think of it a little story. Think of it a little bit of moment in time, uh, whatever, because different people process differently. And so uh, I'm looking for them to, I'm looking for, for me, the meaning of communication is the response, not my intent. It's a response. I need to see the person go, oh, oh, okay. Not, Huh? And then blame them for not understanding how do you create the world how do you paint that picture okay so let's just do that right now let's say something like uh, okay i'll take one of my regular jokes that i'll use and then i'll take you through some stuff because you know, so 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 if i say uh i drove through an exclusive neighborhood okay i drove through an exclusive neighborhood now here's the first thing you need to know about jokes and this is what i learned from victor raskin i talked about the first fundamental that i learned uh, he linguistically, he did it all linguistically, uh, And so I kind of furthered his material. But the phenomenon is correct. You create in your mind a story. right now, you just did, didn't you? I said, I drove through an exclusive neighborhood. Now, for that little weird piece of information to make sense of you, to you, right? You have to fill in a lot of information. You've just put a whole story in your head, whole scene, okay? So let's take that apart because you've already created. See, that's where you have to understand. A mechanism changes information. That, that's a mechanism. It's called first story. That, the setup, I've said to you, that's a setup. But uh, the first story in your head. So I drove through an exclusive neighborhood. That's a setup. Just leave it at that. Okay. Right. So inside that story, tell me what's going on inside that story in your head. What's happening in there, Bo? What, what, what do you see? And everything you say is correct. Don't try to be funny. Don't try I to joke, just the joke, but but if you know, if I right. said, one person said to a n- normal person, said to another person, I drove, I drove to an exclusive neighborhood. that you're but just going we, to the rich side of town. Another part of town. What else? Right. What um, else do you think in gated community? Gated community. Probably who lives in that gated community? The wealthy. The wealthy people live in that gated community. right houses, okay. security. Right. There's some security guards, uh, people like that, et cetera, et cetera. And let's get, even get more simple. Okay. What's a person driving? Mercedes. A car?
0: Okay. Yeah, a car. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Where are they driving? Street. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, so so I drove. I drove through. You're assuming a car. You, you Who's driving? The person talking. Great. Are you starting to get all this? You starting to understand? Mm -hmm. Okay, it's a car. What does a car look like? Black car, leather interior. Wow, interesting. Okay, (laughs) Bo. It's hey, look, red red Ferrari with leather interior. We'll go with that. Nice because you're in the rich neighborhood, right? Of course. Now, all this is correct because you took my little sentence there, Mm -hmm. right? And you filled in all this information, so that this sentence made sense to you. Mm-hmm. Now, at this particular point, you probably both think you know what I mean, right? Do you think I? You know what I mean? I, I drove through an exclusive neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You think you You've made a decision that that's what I mean. That yep. that's important because uh, that's a default for us. So let me let me show you what I mean by this. But but structure and 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 also here's another big thing: jokes are a mental process. To get a joke is a mental process. It's not just a something something on words or the setup and punch. It's a whole mental process. I'm going to show you just a small part of this. Okay, all the things that you said. First of all, uh, did I say I was driving a car? Mm-mm. No. Uh, did I say I was on the streets? Mm-mm. No. No, I didn't. Did I say I was trying to get someplace else? No. No. Did I say it was a rich neighborhood? No. 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 Did I say there were guards and gates and all that other stuff? Did I say that? Mm-mm. No. But you imagined all that. So I say something, a setup. And you fill in with making assumptions. You're assuming you know what I mean by all that. And so let's define an assumption. Assumption is believing something's true without proof. So basically, you've just made up a whole lie in your head. (laughs) Now, we have to do that. As human beings, we, have, we try to go through the world without making assumptions. Every time you came up to a door, you'd have to figure out what it was. <laughs> mm-hmm. What is this thing? Oh, my God. And then later after you figure out, oh, it's a hole in a wall so I can get to another place. Oh, my goodness. You know, you would you'd continually have to look in the mirror to make sure you were still human. <laughs> okay. Right now, you're assuming your car is still where you left it, aren't you? Mm-hmm you have proof? No, I just had somebody steal it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. So now it's like- yeah, so Now it was- They
1: have made a whole bunch of assumptions. Right. And the whole assumptions filled with this whole story mm-hmm. that they now think is true. Cause you think you know what I meant once mm-hmm. We have now as comedy writers and comedians gotten to people at that point, once we know we have made them, get them to make a whole bunch of assumptions, once we know what those assumptions are, we can surprise them, we can trick them, we can mess with them. This is the first most important mechanism you have to, or process you have to understand that the mind does. It messes with it, it, it does something automatically so that they can they can figure out what you mean. And in comedy, they're wrong. They're, just, they, they're, they're In life, most of the time, we're right. Oh, so See, word word? Word, it's right. like another door. Oh, well, the handle's in the middle instead of on the side. But if I turn that same kind of handle, it still opens the door, kind of weird and awkward. Mm-hmm. But it still does it. Okay. Okay, now, do you follow? On and on and on, all day long. You you, you know, you don't test every step to make sure it holds your weight, even though you have no proof that it will. Mm -hmm. And that a million times before, you stepped in that same spot. Okay, so we make these assumptions and build a story in our head. So we go, oh, we know what the comedian means. Now that's not until that point, because you hear expectation and surprise, not until that point. Do you then have expectation? Because once you go, I know what the comedian means, you expect that comedian to continue to talk along that line of thought. So expectation, and this is where my work came in, requires a whole lot of processing of information, creating assumptions, creating a story, a story together until it makes sense. Once it makes sense, you go... Oh, I know what that comedian means. And now I automatically I expect you to continue along that line of thought. All that happens after a setup or the first part of a joke. <laughs> <laughs> we'll simplify it to set up and punch just for e- ease of language right now. Okay. So great. You've done it. You've gone through all that. Now you have expectation. I like these people who go, expectation. Hey, you haven't understood all that's going on that leads to expectation. There's an enormous amount of processing going on in the human mind that gets to expectation. The the, the building and gathering of assumptions until that's that sentence makes sense to you in, 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 in its complete form. Kind of interesting, isn't it, when you start looking at how, how the mind processes. You're not realizing. You're going through this in a flash. Boom. Boom. It's all there. Boom. Damn. Expectation. Nanoseconds. The human mind is amazing. How much processing it does in nanoseconds, not even a full second. Boom, it's there. Okay, great. But you as comedians should know that. You as comedy writers should know that. All these people out there that want to be funny should know that. You should know that you give the audience a piece of information. They go and build this false story. Now, let me show you how to write jokes. (laughs) And this is where I shocked that whole society. I went, okay, so... Uh, I said, I drove through an exclusive neighborhood. You assumed, uh, you assumed, you both assumed that you were driving a car, correct? hmm Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in, in the setup, there is what I call an ambiguity that you can use now that could mean more than one thing. And then once we choose it, it becomes a connector. It becomes the thing in the middle that connects the two jokes. Not until you actually decide to write a joke from it, okay? I know I'm being a little convoluted there, but... So let's just take uh, uh, what made you think uh, that, that there was a car involved? What in the setup? I drove through an exclusive neighborhood. Drove through. So probably just even drove, drove. Mm-hmm. You drove. Great. Drove. So we're going to assume that's a car, right? Right. What you drove. You drove a car. Car. Okay. Now, the audience is now assuming that same thing, just like you did. Now, what else can you drive? Through a neighborhood? Golf ball. Aha! Good for you. Nicely done. Nice, Joel. Nice. Uh, yes, a golf ball. Oh, it's an unexpected meaning of what you drove. You know, everybody's expecting a car. Now you jump to something unexpected. Now we can trick the audience because we know they're expecting a car because they heard drove. And they said, of course they drove a car through an exclusive neighborhood, right? Now we can write a joke. You know, I drove through an exclusive neighborhood, used a nine iron. (laughs) (laughs) Audience will go, whoa, wait, 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 wait. Now we start a whole nother section of processing. And I'm not going to go through all that. It's called incongruity resolution. Now, all of a sudden you realize, oh, wait, that doesn't fit. Where did I make my mistake? Oh, I finally get back and go, oh, drove. What he drove? I thought it was a car. No, it's a golf ball. Mm-hmm. Shatter their assumption. Now, if they find humor in it, they laugh. Now, that's another. That's a philosophical point that's being debated all over the world currently about w- at what point do you actually recognize what you think is humor and what constitutes humor. I don't think they'll ever find it. Because it's individual, you know. It's like saying what's good music or what's good food. You know, it's it's you know it's personal taste. I never did. De- I never deal with what's funny. I deal with the structure. What's funny is between the comedians. I always say, I get a, a little sidetrack here. There's only two places to go to find out if something's funny, and I really mean this. Only two. One yourself. If you think it's funny, you do it. I don't care what anybody said. Oh, that's too gross. It's going to offend people. <laughs> All right. Don't listen to them. You do it because you think it's funny. It's as simple as that. I think it's funny. Find out. Don't listen to anybody. The next place you go, to an audience. And a bunch of times, not just once. Funny is between the performer and themselves and the performer and an audience. That's it. Don't tell it to other comedians because what they'll do is they judge it. It took them, let's say, I got a good friend of mine. And we have this argument all the time. Great joke writer. Incredibly funny. I won't say his name. He's always, I know it's funny. No, you don't. But yes, I do. I know it's funny. No, you don't. Okay, you know it took you what took you thirty years to figure out what makes you funny, and that's what you're going to make other people adhere to. Okay, so he would have never become Andy Kaufman, <laughs> <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. He would have never been Sam Kinison, who screamed at people all the time. I I knew Sam; I was around the clubs with him. We were at the Westwood Comedy Store together for years. Mm-hmm. You know, people always going shouldn't yell at the audience. Really, he didn't listen to him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Finally, he found his, uh, Anthony Jesselnick's one of my students When he came to me, he was real dark And I went, he says, okay, yeah, be dark That's what you think is fun to do that And then I talked to him, you know, about 10 years later, and he goes, I see you're really dark Dude, and he goes, I'm getting darker, I'm, go for it Go for mm-hmm. it, up or you can take it He's really put it Out there and stuff, so Okay, so we back up, and we know now You've made an assumption, now you've written an idea For a joke, we haven't finished it You know uh, uh we haven't done a, a a punch but punches have what i call comedy grammar there's a bunch of ways you can write a punch improperly that'll screw up a good well structured with, with the center of a joke is a good idea you got a good idea they think it's a car that you drove through an exclusive neighborhood and we're going to say it's a golf ball great idea for a joke i see that fundamental and i you know in, inside my inside my world and i go oh that's a that's a you know got something expected something very unexpected Good idea for a joke. I don't know if it's going to be funny. That's between the performer and himself and the performer and the audience. I don't put that opinion out there because I can discourage people. If Because people think, oh, he's an expert. I, I, that's what's wrong with teachers. They're telling you what they think is funny. It's wrong. I'm sorry. It's wrong. They should never do that because people then take their word for it. And I don't know how any human being And again, I don't believe in ESP, period, not at all. So, But I don't know how any human being can know what a group of strangers in an unknown venue, in an unknown demographic, in an unknown environment, what those people are going to laugh at. I don't know because I'm not there. The The only way I can figure it out is I have to be there. Reading the audience, noticing the situation, what are the obstacles? Is it blah blah blah? Are they rowdy? Are they listening? It's all kinds of things you got to figure out in order to figure out how to make a particular audience laugh. You know, you can't decide that a teacher can't decide that in a classroom because I can't tell you how many times people have come in my classroom and they say, oh, "I got an idea," I say, put it up. They put it up, you know, and I don't think it's funny. It, you know, I don't think it's that. I don't like it. But they don't, they'll never know that. And I help them as, as thoroughly and as completely to help them articulate that, help them find the jokes, structure the jokes, find the tags, put it this way, you down, know, turn it into a story, whatever they want turned into. And I work as hard for them as anybody else. Then we'll go to the improv, the Hollywood improv, and do a show. And they'll get up and they'll crush with that bit. And I still sat and sit in the back of the club going, no, I don't think that's funny but it's in my showcase and it's in my classroom. And I have not discouraged that person because I didn't like it. It Hasn't have anything to do with me. I'm there to help people articulate their sense of humor, not mine. You see teachers that teach their opinion, do two things. One, most of them, because this is the way I do it. You should do it that way too. One is they're passing on their own limitations. I mean, they're passing on their own sense of humor. They're cloning themselves. Two is they're passing on their own limitations. That's huge. They're unlimited. In other words, if that person's a one-liner comic, then they teach people to one-liner comics. If they're a storyteller, they teach people to be a storyteller comic. If they do a bunch of puns, they teach people to do a bunch of puns. Because that's all they know. They're teaching what they know, not understanding the fundamentals Okay, and that's why I spent 40 years trying to figure those out, put some of them in that book. There are, since 2000, when I first wrote the book, there, I've got more, actually, that I teach in my advanced classes that I don't have, I haven't been able to have time to put it into a book yet, partially written, bits and pieces of it. So, you know, and then the, then the pandemic comes along and you know, all I, I'm, I'm spending all my time, you know, trying to build a business online and and in a couple of months, that's going to end. Maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to go back to IRL in real life. So and that business was going great anyway. It was fine. That'll really pick back up again. But I'd like to keep this business going because I'd like to reach out to the rest of the world. So let me go back up again to assumptions. <laughs> build the so um, I know I go along. I go around. So. Um, <clears throat> You said uh, one of the other assumptions was uh, I drove through. Right, and, and uh, where, where, where were they when they drove through? Up side of town. On the streets. Yep. On the streets. Oh, okay, that's what they're assuming. Okay, what made you think that? What's the ambiguity? Drove through. Okay. In an exclusive ed neighborhood, What else could you drive through or where else could you drive through? Fast food. The what? You can go right through the houses themselves. Thank you, Bo. This is your turn. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I got excited there. I'm sorry. (laughs) Joel's just in the moment. That's okay. And a drive-through would work as well. There's another alternative there. Okay, so you're driving through. We think you're driving on the streets and now we can write a joke. There's the jump. They're driving on the streets. They're drove through, drove through what? Drove through the houses. Now we write that into a punch. I drove through an exclusive neighborhood parked in some guy's kitchen. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: You said a punch is like very particular, like, so is it you tr- like, and you like example of the driving, ra- The driving golf ball was you said a nine iron and then you're like parking in the kitchen. Do you just like a bunch of assumptions? Do you create a bunch of punch lines and then just pick what your instinct tells you? you no, know,
1: there's a process. There is a, the, you go through a process of a, of a building what, what I call a second story. What's the story you're going to put it into? Cause there's a lot of ways to drive. You could drive through the gates. Right. Mm -hmm. You could drive through, you know, some of the part of the house. You could drive through several houses. You could drive through their gardens. You know what? Anything but the streets. You you could drive through their grandmother. I don't know. (laughs) It's up to you. Anything that's unexpected is an idea for a joke. Uh Okay. so now you've got choices, don't you? And that's my joke writing system. Oh, Oh, let's write some reinterpretations. What are some other ideas? What else could you drive through? Could drive through a drive-through. Is there humor in there? I don't know. We'll find out. Okay. Okay. Let's go to another one. I'll just show you how how simple this is. Okay. Yeah, exclusive neighborhood. You assumed that it was what? Rich. 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 Yeah. Right. Rich. rich neighborhood. What's another kind of an exclusive neighborhood? Ah, now use your imagination, my friends. Now open up that brain of yours and stop thinking rich, normal, regular neighborhoods. What is a neighborhood? A neighborhood is an aggregate of the same, a bunch of things or people or whatever who aggregate into like a neighborhood or a clan or a group or a... So what is an alternative other than rich people? Uh, Marty said,
0: "Leper colony."
1: That's cool. <laughs> you know, you know. I waved at them, and they waved back, and lost their hand. Mm-hmm. I don't. <laughs> so you follow? I drove to an exclusive neighborhood. Yeah, and just say "leper colony." <laughs> no one's going to be expecting that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cost me an arm and a leg. Ah, gang. Nice. Oh well, that's a whole nother series of techniques. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So um, I mean, uh, another exclusive neighborhood. Somebody said prison. Prison, yeah, Michelle. Oh, people are listening. Prison. Everybody out there, write them in. Mm-hmm. Give, me, give me some like, alternative. Give me some alternative uh, uh, neighborhoods. Come on, use Ooh. your imagination. Yeah, we Mike's, have a
0: trailer yeah. park.
1: Trailer park, great.
0: Campground. A campground.
1: Campground. You think everybody's alive? Come on, everybody, use your imagination. Mm, the Silent City.
0: Costco. <laughs>
1: Costco. <laughs> yeah, there, there's. Uh, I've been in the Costco, and there were certain gangs in different parts. A <laughs> nudist colony. <laughs> Very good, you know. Mm. They're all just hanging around. <laughs>
0: Assisted living
1: community, nice. funeral home, Caesar graveyard. World. There you go. <laughs> wow. Come on, you're still thinking they're a lot. Oh yeah, you said yeah. still. Yeah, yeah so city. You're yeah. thinking they're people. Hmm. A cult. <laughs> still people, if you want to call them that. Yeah. I mean, hey. Uh, There's an yeah. aggregate. It's not people. Right. Oh. A uh, dog so pound?
0: <laughs> <laughs> the zoo? A uh,
1: dog pound. Nice. What else? Uh,
0: Sandy says the zoo or a wildlife on? preserve.
1: Get to one? Zoo is a gated community. That's zoo is a, yeah, and it's a gated mm-hmm. community. Yeah. Right on. Okay. And now you've got two connectors in there. you got a tag mm-hmm. right away. So, zoo. And then you say, well, it is a gated community. Boom. Drove through mm-hmm. a zoo. Oh, what about an ant farm? A marionette, a marionette factory. factory. <laughs> yeah, and that's fine. See? See? It's <laughs> a lot of strings attached, you know? <laughs> <laughs> now you're tagging. Oh, my goodness sakes. Cause you're starting to see the connector strings strings. Okay. Boom. You got it. All right. Nice. Now, so now you understand joke structure. You can write jokes at will. That's what the international society of humor studies all went. Wow. Well, wow. This guy, wow. We need to, wow. Then they all wanted to talk to me before that. Now I'm friends with them. I'm really good friends with a lot of them and stuff. But it started out that, you know, so, because but, you know, I'm kind of arrogant about it, too. So I'm going to go, hey, I think I know something here. so But you see, now you understand, see, there's three things that happen. I want you to understand joke structure, my joke structure, set up and punch. Again, it's not expectation, surprise, not joke structure. None of that stuff is joke structure. Joke structure are the mechanisms that connect the first part to the second part. Okay, I want you to understand that three things happen. One, you can identify where a joke is. That's big. That's huge. Where's the joke? OK, for instance, I do a lot of privates all over the world, people all over the world. They come to me with a, with a, with a notebook full of ideas. And then I'll say, oh, what's the first one you want to work on? And they'll open up you know, and they'll be having an entire paragraph, whole page written out. And I'll go, OK, there's one joke. there." <laughs> it's only one place where there's a joke. And they, they're writing and writing and writing and writing because they're trying to find where the humor is because they don't understand joke structure. They don't understand where the joke is. So one, once you understand that, you can go, oh, there's the joke. Identify it quickly. Then start to write it with comedy grammar and get it nice and short. And then again, I don't care if it's in a sitcom, a sketch, in uh, storytelling for stand-up comedians, a one-liner, a mime. It doesn't matter. You still do the same thing. Okay, the structure in in these it it, it transcends genre, it transcends language, joke structure transcends cultures. That's why my book has been translated into five different languages. They have to change the language, they have to change the jokes because those are a lot of times cultural, but they never change the principles, the techniques, the mechanisms, the processes, the structures the things that I've laid out in there that for those things to happen, they don't change those because those are universal. They work just as well in Chinese as they do in English or in French. Right now we're working at putting it in French. I've got it in my, we're working on it in Spanish. I've already, it's already in Mandarin and Cantonese, Chinese, all over China. It's in Vietnamese. It's in Indonesian, which is the language is Bahasa. Bahasa. Why is it that my book can all of a sudden go to all these different languages and cultures and they still they're they're learning the same? You know, it's a fundamental. Hmm. Okay, some, you know, somebody telling you, oh, you can only do this much, this kind of jokes and, and so much exaggeration jokes and this kind of jokes. Where do they get that? OK, I don't know. Or some teachers are teaching things like you got to say you. So everybody relates to you. Really? So what you're going to do is force everybody to change their natural language patterns because you have some ill-gotten idea because you don't have anything else to teach people. Right. You follow? Was, you know, there's, there's, That's nonsense to me. There's no there's no research. There's no anything behind it. They don't do their homework into the real world. They hear some of the teachers say something and then they say it too. And I go, that's BS. I never changed my, t- my, my students' language patterns. It confuses them. Mm. They've been telling stories a certain way their whole lives. My job is to get their mind functioning the way it does. You ever thought... They've been really, 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 really funny, like at a party around your friends at work. I don't, I don't care wherever it is, right? Someplace where you just go off someday and it's just like crush it and everybody's laughing. Okay. Uh, maybe that's partly because of pot or alcohol. Okay. I get it. Okay. So, <laughs> but first of all, let's, let's look at that. First of all, did you memorize the words of that story? Mm-mm. No, not really. You remembered it like you normally were You're telling a normal story. So that tells you something right there. Oh, it's flexible. If you tell it a bunch of times, you keep adding jokes to it. Oh, that's interesting. If you're bombing, you can cut it short and get the hell out of it quick. Oh, that tells you something about it. Wow, that's the way you've been telling stories your whole life. And then people come and practice jokes so that they start to perform unnaturally. And I'm not going to teach that to you today. That's what you pay for in my classes. a <laughs> big part is how do I help you around that? Because my job, I think, uh, as a fundamentals teacher is to teach you a lot of good technique. And now all that good technique leads to one outcome, being present. If you're present, if you're present with the audience and you play, you win. But I watch a lot of beginners and they're not present at all. They're all worried about their material, saying their material. They're not present. They're not dealing with the audience because they've done improper rehearsal in my opinion, rehearsal that is not effective for the outcome, which is to be present, okay? So uh, I, I don't know, I mean, you talked about books earlier, you read all the books, good for you, read all the books. And then a lot of times, what they all have in common is probably a fundamental. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what I did with acting, I read every book I got, I read 20 books on acting. Some of them were some people's opinion. Like you said before, that's useless. That's just a bunch of crap this person's kind of made up because they don't know what else to write about. Or it's what what my teacher would call being lost in content. Mm -hmm. They're so into the content they think they've made up something and it's it's useless. You have to have a process, you know, and then if you study how to develop a process and there are books out there on that as well. You know, because all the stuff that I do, they hide they hide this very important information on this thing called the internet. You know, and... Uh, <laughs> the problem is that it is hidden with a bunch of bullshit out there as well. You know, these people out there saying, this is joke structure, it's not joke structure. <laughs> Joke structures are the mechanisms that connect the first part to the second part. That's it. And wow. I have five of those, two of them, first story and second story. I augmented from my, my mentor, Victor Raskin. And I, it's in my book, it's written in my book. I'm not taking things and, you know, I give I give, I give credit when I use, when I build, I build on his because his was linguistic and I used to be a circus clown and I went, Wait, I used to make people laugh all the time with just my body language and the prop and stuff like that. That doesn't make any sense to me. So I kind of extended it and said, look, it can also be fired off by, you know, physical comedy that you'd see in a, in a silent movie. Mm-hmm. Tell me that Charlie Chaplin, if you, I don't know if you've studied Charlie Chaplin, you should. I think he is arguably the funniest person to ever live on this planet. Watch his stuff. Astounding! It's astoundingly funny. Buster Keaton, but Chaplin had forty years of productivity. Keaton only had ten, but uh, ten good years. Uh, What's your so,
0: favorite joke? Ben Webb is asking. What is your favorite
1: uh, joke, favorite and why joke? Does it work? You know what? Oh, um, well, there's a whole bunch of them. I think the one lately that cracks me up is that my uh, uh, my girlfriend has a the tattoo of a of a seashell on her inner thigh. And if you put your ear right up against it, you can smell the ocean.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Oh, Oh, somebody's gonna be offended. (laughs) (laughs) Favorite jokes, I don't know. uh, Some of them, uh, one of my, my, a gay student wrote, I always loved this joke. He said, you know, people keep wondering why gays are such good dressers. You spend 20 years in the closet. Uh, <laughs> great. What a great joke. What says a great deal about humanity? I love those kind of jokes. Uh, oh, the one I like best lately is uh, Bill Burr. I like Bill Burr so much. He's talking about, uh, he does this whole thing because I like he stands up to the women's, uh, to the the Me Too movement that goes too far, when it goes too far. And I said, no means no. And he's like, no, it doesn't.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Right? He, he, and he acts it out and he goes, no, that means no, 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 that means no. But a woman who goes, no, don't stop. Oh, you're so bad. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, That doesn't mean no. Goose. <laughs> Watch Bill Burry. Very, very good at a lot of things he does. I, I've been studying him lately, so and I only met him once. Uh, not even real well just kind of we're all at the Bill Hicks uh, memorial at the comedy store and stuff so that was
0: uh,
1: kind of an interesting occasion fun fun to meet a bunch of comedians you know CPHP but you haven't seen for years but still tough tough situation with Bill so yeah your favorite jokes mine change all the time cuz my students write jokes and i go oh my god that's hilarious i love that you know so uh wait, wait, let's open it up. You want to open it up? Uh, anybody else have any questions? Yeah, Michelle um, said how please yeah. Please explain how to have a proper rehearsal. Uh stan-upcomedy.com class 101. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm sorry. Uh I charge money for that. Uh, and I've given away quite a bit today already. Uh, and with a lot of theory and a lot of processes. So uh, certain things that I kind of draw a line, some things I just give away, some things uh, I have to make a living. So that, that is one of my high-level <laughs> secrets, even though it's in the book. But once I teach it to you, it changes the way you will do stand-up comedy forever properly. Why do
0: you think Anthony Jeselnik made it? You've taught so many people. What was it about him he that just really... He just kept doing it? it.
1: He just kept doing it. Yeah. See, see, he doesn't care that he fails talked to him about it. He goes, yeah, I just kept, you know, I, I, you know, he's doing this dark humor and a lot of people hate it, told him they're offended. So he just went, I don't care. He just kept doing it and doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it. And he got better. Also, I think one of the reasons is that he, uh, 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 I I have a hard time, uh, I, hard time, rewriting his jokes. I don't rewrite his jokes. Other people I'll rewrite their jokes right away. I say, oh man, there's all kinds of stuff in there. You shouldn't. Anthony doesn't. Anthony writes some of the most you go if you want you to learn my joke structure. Uh once you understand how to use those mechanisms and write a joke, and then go study Anthony's jokes. He does what I taught him perfectly. Wow. Perfectly formed jokes. Now, for years, my only further hope for him. <laughs> was he would start doing storytelling. Because I talked with him about it. He said, no, I don't do storytelling like you taught me. Uh, I, I found one-liners. I follow them. I'm doing one-liners. Go, okay. you know He knows that there was storytelling stuff that I taught him. But for years, he wanted to do one-line. Now his latest stuff, this stuff about uh, dropping babies and all that. Now he's storytelling. And he's doing it perfectly as well. He's staging them the way that I taught him. He's doing characters that are real people the way that I taught him. Cetera. Uh cetera, the way he presents how he, you know, uh, the structure, because structuring, how you present the first part and the second part are different. Uh, the structure is the same, but the presentation is different. It's not a setup and a punch anymore, okay? And he does that perfectly. And he also taught him how to tag, and he tags perfectly. A lot of people write tags and they don't understand those have to be jokes too. They have exactly the same structure, okay? Sometimes you can get a laugh out of a tag just by saying something. But to me, that's a cue that you, if you had a real joke there, okay, it would, would you know, because the audience is laughing and they want to laugh more. And even if you say, well, that's true, they'll laugh even more because they, they want they want to have another release. It was so funny. Now, to me, that's a cue for a place to start putting your tags, that's a cue. Go and write a real joke there and you'll get a scream instead of another laugh. Because the audience wants that extra pop up to the next level and a pop up and a pop up and a pop up. But if you just say random stuff, you'll get a laugh that's probably there, but less. I want more. Uh, no. Punch line, tag, louder, tag, 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 not punch insipid tag, insipid tag, insipid tag, as is, is it, it goes down. Mm-hmm. I want to go up. One's louder, louder, bigger, longer. And you can do that if you actually write a joke there, because that's, to me, that's screaming for a hole to put a, a, a joke, to, to make a tag a real joke, and then it will get a much bigger laugh. Because they're laughing in rhythm because they want to laugh more. So to me, that's just, a, I've got a video out on that talks about, you know, where do you put tags? You know, listen, watch people, watch comedians. and go, oh, he didn't say a particular joke there, but got a good big laugh. I got a laugh after the punch. If it was a real joke there, it would have gotten a scream. It's right there. It's primed. Okay. And then they don't know to, oh, that's the play. But if you study with a teacher like me, I'll go, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Right there. Let's let's form a joke right there. You're saying something stupid here. <laughs> You're just saying something. Now turn that into a joke right there. Scream. Let's turn that next one into a joke. Scream. Oh, you know, watch it, watch, watch Pat Oswald watch him take take, 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 tag, tag. Watch Gary Shandling. take, 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 tag. They're so good at it one after another because they know how to write a joke after the punch. The tags are jokes. They're just structured the same thing as any other joke. They just don't have a new setup. And they have structure too. And when you adhere to those things, you can, you know, now you're crafting a show. You learn the fundamentals, you craft the show, you craft it. You know, it, 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 people you know, see people watch, you know, my wife is Gayla Johnson. You guys can look her up. G-A-Y-L-A Johnson. She also teaches for me as well. And uh, watch her shows. They're crafted so well. And people look at her and say, oh, she's just naturally funny. <laughs> I met her in my school. She came and took my classes. And then I don't date my students. So once she ran out of money, I asked her out. <laughs> And ever since I've been painting, <laughs> and we're a mixed uh, we're a mixed couple, uh, which is unusual in Hollywood—a man and a woman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that uh, <laughs> she's African American, and uh, so I'm very nice to her because you don't want to piss off a black woman. Because when she starts doing this, <laughs> she ain't going to be doing this. <laughs>
0: Well, do you, do you have any like closing advice, favorite comedy tip, or anything you could?
1: Yeah, show? here you go, everybody. Steal techniques, not jokes. <laughs> mm. Watch Bill Burr and go, oh, he's doing a one sided con- conversation. Oh, look at this person. What are they doing? Oh, look at that joke. Oh, look what they did. Oh, that person had a nonverbal punchline or they had a sound punchline or, you know, uh, Bo, Bo Burnham does a lot of jokes that that are not traditional uh, things. Uh, uh, carrot top. I know. I, 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 but you, you go and look and, and note it. Study him. doesn't mean you got to be him or that you're going to have his style. Okay, well, first of all, he's one of the highest paid comedians around because his show, six year olds can enjoy, and 96 year olds can enjoy because it's clean. Say what you want, one way or another. I don't care. This guy has done a really great job of doing what he's doing. You know, not my favorite style of humor. Okay, but neither was Andy Kaufman for me. I mean, I was around Andy Kaufman and. Hmm. He was great. <laughs> he was a, he was a unique com- uh, comedian, you know, but he also had some issues. So did Robin. Had his demons. I knew Robin pretty well as well, I was around him a lot. We go back to the Holy City Zoo in San Francisco. For God's sake, you know, it's a little hole in the wall that who came out of there Dana Carvey and uh the bulldog, I can't think of his name right now. Uh why can't i think of his name anyway a bunch of people uh, uh came out of that whole area era at that particular time so uh anyway uh so Why yes advice steal techniques notice what other comedians are doing study them and go oh look at that technique now let me do that with my sense of humor let me do that with my material you yeah, don't don't use their words don't okay. use their their thing don't do that that's terrible Let that, Uh, You know, you're you're ripping people off. Just people are, it takes me 30 years to figure out something in comedy and then people steal it and teach it. Is that fair? It's no fairer than somebody ripping off somebody's joke. It took them six or eight months or a year to perfect and now somebody else can pick it up and just do it. That's just shitty. What a horrible, you know, I mean, and the only, you you know, the only revenge I can have is to say that person has to continue being who they are the rest of their lives which are plagiarist and inadequate and <laughs> uncreative people. They have to be that the rest of their lives and steal from other people because they can't do it themselves. Okay, oh, yeah, that's my revenge. Oh, OK. You have to be that person forever. I get to be me. I'm making up stuff new all the time. So steal techniques. Watch comedians <laughs> and go, look at how that comedian did that. Or take my class or read my book or something and and I'm trying not to be too self-serving yet. I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I don't recommend anybody else's classes because I don't like how they teach. I find that they teach too much of their opinion. A few of them teach some techniques and most of them are my former students mm. or have actually been trained by me and I don't know they're using my stuff. Well, how do uh, people... Get your book, take your classes. How can they take on Amazon. You? Everything, everything's on Amazon. Just go to Google. Go to yeah, everybody go to go in and Google Greg Dean comedy. Amazon Google. pulls up first. So there you go. Perfect. Greg Dean comedy will come up with like six pages of me on Google because I've been around doing this for so long. And let me give you all yet another tip for free. As you start to develop your career, pick a moniker like I did, Greg Dean Comedy. I own gregdeancomedy.com. I own uh, uh, Greg Dean Comedy on on, uh, uh, Gmail, Yahoo, Hotmail. I own, you know, that's my name on YouTube, on Twitter, on on like 15 or 20 different social networking. They're all Greg Dean Comedy, all of them. I did that on purpose. There you go. There's a marketing tip for everybody pick pick it and then build your entire branding on that because it re- it repeats over and over and over and i put that in every picture i put on st- out there uh, it's on the title it's in the alt it's on every page it's on in every blog it's in every video it's <laughs> that's everywhere anything i touch i put greg dean comedy because then it gets pulled in and 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 recognized and indexed by the bots, and then Bing and Yahoo and especially Google will bring them all up together. And eventually, you get a little thing at the bottom going, "Are you looking for Greg Dean comedy?" Well, yeah, I am. So uh, that's a great marketing tip, and I've been teaching that for years in my how to how to get work seminar that we teach two or three times a year on weekends. It's a it's a stand what we call a standalone class. That's a great class as well because it gives you the path. There's a particular path for getting work and all. So there's your big tips. You know, thank two you. of them. One, yeah, do a moniker, steal techniques, but, and write original material and keep it clean if you can, because your first big break will come from network television. Mm. Mm. Boom, um, Greg
0: Dean, everyone. Yeah, thank you so thank much, you
1: so much, Greg. You guys uh, are welcome. This has been very amazing. Um,
0: My pleasure. Scratch the
1: surface, barely scratch the surface.
0: So much good stuff. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time to do this, Greg. And thanks for everyone that watched
1: this live as well. Call me back when you got some more questions and got more people that want to ask questions. I'm 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 available to the public. My job is to be of service. It really is to help people learn how and more quickly get to get to their funny, get to their funny bone and articulate their own sense of humor. That's my job. That's what I do. I smell Um, a part two to this interview. <laughs> I'm glad it's not number two. so
0: Ta-da, No, it's nice.
1: not a number two. Okay, <laughs> thank you. That, that's, right, that's driving through the uh, porta potties. So. Yeah, <laughs> oh, nice. Exclusive oh, neighborhood of Porta potties. going here again. Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> all, all
0: right, right let's right. land this plane greg thank you so much for joining us joel it's always wonderful
1: always and a pleasure to my friend. and to all of hot breath bye Bye. bye. bye.
0: there it is hot breath verse all of the links to greg's books are in the description of this video along with links to our own classes and workshops and our own writing room facebook group where this episode was actually requested from We're all about comics helping comics here, so don't be a stranger. Connect with us on social media, and we're happy to help however we can as we are all in this together, my friends. And until next Monday, right here on Hot Bread.